0: Heavenly Father, God, it is such a privilege to be here uh, with you. It is such a privilege that uh, you come and condescend to be here with us. And Father, I pray that you will give us a clear mind and give us a clear heart and give us a, a ability to hear your voice and not just to hear it, but to respond to it and to act on it. Father, all these good things come from you. And we pray that we will let you come in and do these good things in our life this evening. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no magic formula to surrendering. I gave you the one-minute quick guide this uh, this morning. But there is no magic formula. The details for everyone is not going to be the same. My testimony is not going to be your testimony. And so why do I even share my testimony? I share it because I hope that it can be instructive. I share it because I hope that it can be inspiring. I hope that in some way the, the Holy Spirit can use my story to uh, in, influence your story, to bless you and your story, and as we share it together, I believe that that's what, uh, God's plan for us. But before I share my parable, I mean my, my um, um, yeah, before I share my parable, um, my testimony, that's the word I wanted, before I share it, I would like to share a parable of my testimony because I think that this parable can help you understand a little bit better what my problem was and where I was coming from. This parable is called Rich the Poor Man. And Rich was a very poor man. He was so poor that he had a difficult time feeding his family. He struggled to feed his family. He was always looking for odd jobs where he could make a little bit of money just to put food on the table, and it was a constant struggle. He had lost his business in a flood a few years back, and he was constantly trying just to keep afloat. But Rich's life was not all work and drudgery. He had a hobby, and his hobby was to collect rocks, because what else do you do with a limited income, right? he collected rocks. He would walk along and he would see this nice-looking rock, maybe it had a different color or a different shape or something, he would collect it. And he used to spend hours with his rocks. He would polish them and he would just admire them and enjoy them. And, and he took the cream of the cream of his rock collection and he put it into a bucket and he carried that bucket with him wherever he went. Wherever Rich went, you would find the bucket with him, whether it was to work, whether it was at the market, whether even if it was at church, you would see Rich and his bucket together. This was the cream of the cream of his rock collection. He would not let it out of his sight. Well one day Rich was at the nearby uh, town and he was uh, looking for work and as he was standing there this rich wealthy looking gentleman came up to him and he said tell me your story and so Rich told him about how he had lost his business and how he was struggling to feed his family and the guy felt so sorry for him he said that's really bad luck let me help you out in fact come to my house and I will give you some gold coins. Well, Rich said, I've never seen a gold coin before, but I'm sure I'd like to have one of those, so sure. So he went over to the guy's house and the guy went running into his house and he came out with two big heaping handfuls of gold coins and he poured them into Rich's bucket. And you can imagine how Rich felt, right? He thanked the man profusely. He went running all the way home. He burst into the kitchen. He yelled out, we're rich, we're rich, we've got gold coins. And of course, you can imagine what his family thought about that. They all came running. But when they got there and looked into the bucket, there was only three little gold coins sitting at the top. The bucket was so full that all the gold coins had spilled out into the floor and Rich hadn't even noticed it. So his wife said, well, that's not really uh, making us wealthy, but you know, it's better than nothing. So they went out and they bought a whole bunch of food. Matter of fact, they had so much food that they were sharing with their neighbors for a while. But after some time went by, ah, the food just ran out. The money just ran out. And here they were, they were starving again. And Rich was thinking, you know, he said, "Ah, oh, wow, we're starving again. We're hungry, I can't feed my family. This is really bad. And you know, this guy, this wealthy gentleman was willing to give me a whole two handfuls of, and I only got three coins. I wonder if I went back to him, if he would kind of give me a little bit more, you know? He felt kind of bad bugging the guy. The guy had been so generous. And, but after a while, he just got so hungry, and his family was so hungry, he says, I'm gonna do this. So he, he went up and he gathered his courage and he knocked on the guy's door. And the wealthy gentleman flung open the door. And he said, oh, Rich, you're back, I'm so glad. When you left, there was this pile of coins on the on pavement, and uh, I was hoping you would come back. And so he ran in, he got a, two handfuls, heaping handfuls of gold coins, he poured them into Rich' bucket. And Rich was so thankful, he thanked him profusely, and he went running all the way home, and he burst into the kitchen, he says, we're rich, we're rich, we have gold coins. And his family came running and found two gold coins in the top of the bucket. This happened for several months. And um, one day, as he was talking to the wealthy gentleman that was his friend, the guy said, you know, Rich, I don't want to be pushy or anything, but you know, if you came with an empty bucket, I would fill it to the brim with gold coins. And you know what Rich said? He said, you know, I appreciate that. That is so generous, but I can't. I mean, these are too precious for me. These are my worthless, precious rocks. (laughs) I have to have them. I cannot, I cannot live without my worthless, precious rocks. You know, it's very generous, but I'm sorry. It's just not going to work. And so Rich went back with just a couple coins. This kept on happening for a while. And, and, you know, Rich was thinking about this. Wow, really? He would fill this bucket to overflowing with gold coins if I would just empty it? And... um, the more he thought about this, the more he began to resent those rocks because they were keeping him from getting this wealth. He said, I could be wealthy beyond my wildest dreams if only I was willing to give up my precious, worthless rocks. And so one day, the event of surrender, he went and he said, okay, I'm gonna do this. So he went out into the woods to a place he'd never been out, way deep in the woods. He Torn out his rocks in the woods. He turned his back on them, and he walked out, and he never went back. And now if you go to that city where Rich lives, you will find him knocking on doors. And when people answer, do you know what he says? He says, Hi, I'm Rich. Would you like some gold? Hi, I'm Rich. Would you like some gold? My friends, for most of my Christian experience, I was rich holding on to my precious, worthless rocks. And because of not being willing to let go of them, God was not willing, not able, He was willing, He was ready, but He was not able to bless me to the fullest as He would have liked. I am a fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist, and for that I am very thankful. It is a blessing and a curse in some ways. I have uh, led a very sheltered existence. I have lived in a very good Christian home. I have uh, gone to very good Christian schools all my life, had very good church families. Uh, my, my mother valued personal devotions so much that she, and she, had, she taught herself to read, but she read the Arthur S. Maxwell series, the 10 volume set, Bible story series. She read the whole thing to us 11 times before my brother and I went off to academy. This was, and she had to teach herself to read. It was really a struggle for her, but she did because she believed in this morning devotional experience. I um, was a missionary overseas, I was an elder in my church. I was always the good kid, you know, this is me, this is the halo here, right? I was president of Adventist Youth for Better Living at Academy. I uh, never did drugs or alcohol or premarital sex, in fact, a couple months before my wedding, my uh, bride came up to me and she says, Mike, I think we need to practice kissing. If we don't, we're going to get up there in front of all those people at the wedding ceremony and we're going to make fools of ourselves. Fortunately I was a quick study, it wasn't a problem. But this is the way I was. I was always the good kid. In fact, in Academy, I was the um, boys, I mean the girls dorm maintenance man. I had a shop in in the bottom of the girls dorm. I had the keys. You know, I was trusted. And I never betrayed that trust. I was always the good kid. But that was the outside. On the inside, I was a mess. I was polluted by sin by addictions by bad habits by character flaws I was a slave of sin and I could not get the victory the inside was so much different than the outside and you know the tragedy my life was not that I had all these sinful tendencies and all these these, uh, these addictions and bad habits that wasn't the tragedy the tragedy is that in my Christian experience I was not experiencing power I was not experiencing victory over these things I remember Time and time again, sincerely, with all my heart, pleading with God to give me victory over these sins. And it just wasn't working. You know, there's this wonderful promise in the book of James. I don't know if you know, if you know this verse or not. This is a great one, right? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't that, isn't that an incredible promise? Didn't work. Doesn't work. Didn't. I, I remember very... Uh, Many times in my Christian experience saying, Lord, Lord, I want to resist. I need to resist. Please help me to resist. And you know what happened? The devil would laugh in my face and he would keep on pounding away at me until he got through. And I I remember thinking many times, why do I even try? But I want you to notice something about this verse on the screen. See those three ellipses at the beginning? Those are not inspired. Those indicate that there's something missing at the beginning of this verse so remember that we're going to come back to that in a couple of minutes i was baptized at the age of 11 or 12 and i misunderstood fundamentally surrender you know we talked this morning about how surrender is all or nothing and all at once i did not understand that i thought that surrender meant that i would give god my one or two worst bad habits And Then he would give me victory over those and then he would work on my next one or two bad habits I would keep on giving him bad habits until he got rid of them all That's what I thought well after three decades of sincerely following an Almighty God I found out that not only had he not given me victory over my old besetting sins But I had picked up some new ones along the way in fact. I was worse off After three decades of following an Almighty God than when I started and that's when I began to realize that there's probably something wrong with my experience I went through a desert experience for a few months where I uh, I became essentially agnostic I said to myself Mike you've been sincerely following an all-powerful God for all these years and you're just not you're worse than when you started in some ways and um, I said to God I said God if you exist I'm having a hard time believing in you because I don't, you know, have, don't have a lot of evidence in my life to actually see that power that I'm hearing all about I have no proof and I said to God, I said, if you are a God, and if you are there, and if there is a heaven, I won't be there unless you prove yourself to me in a very tangible, powerful way. I'm done with this wishy-washy you know, type of religion that I had be- before. And um, so anyway, I went very quickly from being what I thought to be a better than average Christian to being a skeptic, a faithless skeptic and i just decided to give up i didn't know what to do i didn't know what what else i could do i'd tried for all those years and so i did my own thing and uh, pretty much just made my choices the way i wanted to make them without considering what god wanted the good news is that god didn't give up on me he kept on pursuing me and he got me and he kept me from that downward spiral that i had started on by giving up on him I was in this downward spiral that, spiral that was going to end in the depths of despair, but he caught me on the way down. And the key happened at camp meeting in Wisconsin. I was with my mom visiting, and we went to, with the, evening, to the evening meeting with her, not because I wanted to, but because I was a good kid, and I wanted to you know, please my mom. And I don't remember to this day one word of that sermon, but I do remember the topic. It was on surrender. And I do remember distinctly As I was sitting there, I remember thinking, is this perhaps the key to my three decades of powerlessness? Is it possible that I have never actually succeeded in giving God all my life? Is it possible that I have misunderstood surrender and I have not actually surrendered my life to God? Well, that was an interesting thought. I didn't, I didn't jump in with all fours right away. I decided this is something I need to find out. And so I um, made a plan where I was going to read the New Testament for the gazillionth time. And as I read it, I was going to ask myself, what does this passage tell me about surrender? What does this passage tell me about what it is? How it works? How I can become surrendered? How I can stay surrendered? How can I know if I am surrendered? All the different questions I had about surrender. What is it? And do you know what I found? I was amazed at what I found. I found was something that Ellen White already knew, and that is that self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. You go through the New Testament, as the old, and it's the same in the Old Testament as well. You go through, and you will find surrender is the substance of the scriptures. Directly or indirectly, almost every passage is talking about this concept of giving up and giving ourselves to God. Not just 80%, not just 90%, not just 95%, not just 99.99999%. It's got to be all or nothing. If God isn't Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. And that was true in my life. My friends, if self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ, then how is it possible that I missed out on it? All those years of living a sincere Christian life, If self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ, then why didn't my pastors teach me about surrender? Why didn't my parents teach me about surrender? Why didn't my peers say, hey, Mike, this is how it works. If self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of God, how could I miss out? And I'll tell you how I could miss out, because if there's one thing the devil does not want us to understand, it's surrender. And he will do everything in his power to keep us from understanding it. And I believe that the lukewarm Laodicean condition that we're in is because we don't understand this fundamental, foundational principle of the Christian life. Many look for a special change to take place in their feelings. That's what happened to me. This they term conversion. Over this error, thousands have stumbled to ruin, not understanding the expression, ye must be born again. As I went through the scriptures trying to understand surrender better, there was one theme that kept on coming back over and over again, and it was counting the costs, counting the costs. And so I began to count the costs in my life. Counting the costs means looking at your choices, your daily choices, and saying, what would my life look like if I gave God that choice? And what would my life look like if I gave God that choice? And what would it look like if I gave him that choice? Do that for all your choices, as much as you can, and you say, oh wow, that's interesting. I did that and I found there were many choices, several choices that I was not willing to give God. I was holding on to these worthless precious rocks and I was not letting God have my life so that he could fill it with his gold. One of those precious rocks was movies. I have always loved watching movies, I remember distinctly um, one of my greatest pleasures in life after working a hard day at work would be to come home and to just sit down in front of a TV and watch a movie or three. <laughs> <laughs> and yet all my life I recognized that movies were not uh, really upholding the standard of Philippians 4.8, right? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent and praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And so I knew all my life, from the time that I was a kid, that this was not meeting God's expectations. I knew that this was a choice that was not God's choice. And many, many times I had tried to give up movies. I would have a spiritual high on Sabbath morning, and I would say, okay, God, all done. No more movies for me. And by Sabbath evening, when the sun went down, my resolutions would be like ropes of sand, as Ellen White puts it. I could not get the victory over this besetting sin. And you know, I knew that it was a problem. And I knew a lot of things about movies that were bad for me. I knew that when I watched movies, I would often get these emotions that were not healthy. I would feel revengeful sometimes when I watched movies. I would feel uh, unhealthily romantic at times when I watched movies. In other words, the, the, the emotions of the movies would come in and infect me. And did I really want Hollywood affecting my emotions? I knew that when I watched movies, it was unhealthy for me physically as well. Because the only thing better than watching a movie is doing it with a bag of potato chips. <laughs> and there was something really funny about this bag of potato chips. It only had one chip in it. No matter how big the bag was, it only had one chip in it. I would... Start the movie, I would eat the first chip, and that's all I would eat, and while, when the movie was done, the bag would be empty. I have no idea how that happens. <clears throat> you know, it's just, I knew that I was eating unhealthily and that I was, uh, it was not good for me. I also knew that these movies were taking up large chunks of time, which could be better spent. I also knew, at least to some extent, that when I watched these movies, it was making it more difficult for me to enjoy the subtle flavors of the scripture. And I knew that watching movies was allowing these worldly ideas and values to come, in. I knew all these things. My friends, knowledge is not necessarily the key there. Just because you know, doesn't mean you're going to get victory. No matter how much you know, doesn't mean you're going to get victory. You can try resisting the devil all you want with that knowledge. It's not going to do anything. One of the reasons why movies was so difficult for me, especially at that time in my life, was that I was working as an engineer in in industry and a lot of times I would be going around the world fixing people's problems. Uh, was a problem solver for the company and so I would be going off and doing something and and I used to enjoy traveling, I really did, because I could sit there in this seat without any wife or kids around and I could watch movies continuously for eight hours. It was uh, heaven on earth, right? And uh, just about the time when I was looking at this surrender thing and I was beginning to understand it better and I was counting the cost, just about this time I had some um, um, trips scheduled. In fact, and I don't think this is coincidence, I had three trips to Europe planned in the space of three weeks. I went to London the first week, Well, actually, England—it was Reading in London—and then I went to Ireland the the second week, and then I went to France the third week. Three weeks, six six trips across the Atlantic, and my friends, I could not fathom the concept of sitting in that tiny little seat in that airplane for eight or nine hours without watching movies. I could not. It just defied the, the, the realm of possibility for me. In fact, that was a, a horror movie for me, replaying that in my mind, sitting in this seat, not watching movies, right? <clears throat> but God was convicting me about these things, and uh, so I decided that I was going to surrender everything, even movies, as soon as I got back from these trips. <laughs> yeah, I know. O ye of little faith. Anyway, the first trip was to England, and um, I remember distinctly the movie I watched. It was a psychological thriller, and when I was done, I said, Mike, why do you watch this garbage? Why do you do this to yourself? And I was so disgusted with myself that I went to sleep. On the way back from England, I. I don't remember what I watched. I think I watched several movies on the way back, but after that experience, I got a bad taste in my mouth. I said, you know, Mike, you gotta at least do something to try to reduce the amount of movies that you're watching on these trips. So I decided that I was gonna get all the material with me that I could to try to reduce the number of movies. I filled up my MP3 player with good music and with good stories and with good sermons. I I brought my favorite magazines and books. and I just would say, okay, I'm gonna at least cut down a little bit if I can. Well, this was the trip to Ireland. And it was a very, very late night, early morning trip, and I was exhausted. So I fell asleep before we took off, and, and I didn't wake up until we landed, I don't think. I was just exhausted, and so I slept the whole way there. And you know what? During that entire time that I slept, I didn't watch one movie. <laughs> hey, praise the Lord for small miracles, whatever it takes, you know? <clears throat> In the middle of that, ex- that trip to Ireland, something unexpected happened. I woke up one morning and I distinctly remember vividly the room that I woke up in. I remember the bedspread and the desk. I remember that room very vividly, but I woke up one morning and I felt like I needed to surrender my life 100% to God right then, totally out of the blue. I hadn't been thinking about this. I hadn't been planning this. I had put it off until the end of the trip, and here was God waking me up in the middle of this travel experience saying, now is the time. And you know what? I was ready and willing to do it. To me, that was an incredible miracle. I don't know how he got me there. I don't know how long it took him to do it, but he eventually did get me to the point where I was willing and able to give myself wholly to him Every aspect of my life. All my choices. So I knelt down right there in my bed. And this was a very traumatic experience for me. That's why I remember it so well. I remember the room so well. A very traumatic experience for me. And uh, I remember thinking, Mike, this is such a bad idea. You still have three uh, transatlantic flights. What are you going to do? But I I did it anyway. By faith. And... um, (coughs) and God blessed. Absolutely, incredibly, beyond my wildest imaginations. I came home from Ireland, and I was sitting in a brand new airplane on an airline that I had, I don't think, or very rarely traveled on before. And like I said, it was a brand new airplane. And when I sat down in my seat, you would not believe, and I don't kid you, you would not believe what I found in the seat in front of me. It was widescreen. It was the latest and greatest entertainment system I had ever seen in my life. Before that time, I was used to these little tiny screens, you know, and they would, they would stream the movies, six of them on six channels. You had to very carefully plan your schedule. This was incredible. It was widescreen. You could pick from a whole list of movies. You guys are all spoiled because this is what you have right now, but this is time, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit. Anyway, it was amazing. This is the first time I had ever seen this. Do you think it was a coincidence that this was the first time I was ever seeing this? Right after I had surrendered movies to, to God, do you think that's a coincidence? No, it wasn't. Well, there was one button on that wonderful entertainment system that attracted my attention. I said, "Well, movies aren't going to work, but this button—you know—it said map." I said, "All right, I'm going to watch something," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and a lot of times, I do like watching maps. I like to see, you know, where we are and look out the window and say, "Oh, look, there's Greenland," and that kind of thing. So I pressed the, the map button and um, you computer science majors will appreciate this. Do you know what it said? This function not yet implemented. Please make another choice. But there were no other choices for me. And you know what's really amazing to me? I survived that flight. I was alive and well at the end of that flight. Can you believe that? It boggles the imagination. And not only that, that's not even the incredible part. The incredible part was I did not miss movies on that flight. I enjoyed the flight. I enjoyed the time. I relished it. And actually, I actually started writing. This this, uh, series of 16 presentations on Delighting on the Almighty really started right around then. And I was absolutely amazed. That was one of the first times in my life that I actually experienced the power of God to give me victory over sin. It just blew me away. Remember that verse, James 4, 7, we were looking at? Remember those three ellipses? uh, That ellipses there, those three dots? What was it that uh, we were leaving out? What's the missing part of this verse in James 4, 7? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Anybody know? Submit therefore to God. My friends, there is a very important order in this verse. You cannot start in the middle. I can tell you by experience. I can tell you by three decades of experience, you can't start in the middle. You cannot say... I will resist the devil without the submission. The submitting has to come first. There's a very important order here. First you submit, then by God's grace you resist, and then the devil flees. It only works that way. I was coming home from France on the third week, and as I sat in my seat, my arm, just muscle memory, started reaching out for the entertainment guy because the first thing I would do when I got on an airplane was plan my my, uh, movie schedule. And uh, as my arm was reaching out for the entertainment guide, my mind said, Mike, what are you doing? And I said, oh, well, that's true. I did surrender movies. But, you know, that's okay. I'll just look at the menu. I won't actually watch anything. And then my mind said, uh, and this is the Holy Spirit talking, uh, no, that's not a good idea. Because, you know, how, how many times in the past have you wanted to not watch movies, but when you see this delectable menu, you know, your resolutions are like ropes of sand. So I said, okay, Lord, you win. I'm not even going to look. And I was so... I was so Please, I was so encouraged by the victory that God had given me. I was just praising God. And do you know what happened? You won't believe this. I had flown with this airline for almost a half a million miles. I don't remember, ever remember this happening before. The purser got on the intercom and she listed all six movies that were fl- showing on that flight and what they were and what channels. <laughs> this had never happened to me before. Do you think that the devil was worried? Do you think he was concerned? Do you think this was, this was coincidence that this person was getting on and telling us what these movies were? Do you think it was coincidence that one of those movies was a, was a G-rated family comedy that I've been wanting to watch really, really bad? That had just come out? you think that's any coincidence? And so my mind started going into rationalization mode. It's G-rated, how bad can it be? And by the way, do you think those people who make the, the ratings for movies are inspired? <laughs> it's a comedy, and laughter is the best medicine, and I need some medicine right now. It's a family movie, it was, a, it was an animated movie, how bad can it be, you know, rationalization mode. But then I said, hey wait Mike, this isn't your choice to make. You gave this choice to God, it's not going to happen. And so I said okay, and guess what, the devil said okay, and he was gone. And for the rest of that flight, I enjoyed the flight without any temptation to watch movies boggled my mind. My friends, something happened to me when I was converted. I believe that was the first time I was truly converted. Something happened to me that just... I wouldn't believe if you told me. If you told me what I'm telling you tonight, I wouldn't believe you. For most of my life. God gave me victory, overnight victory, over every chosen sin in my life. All of those chosen addictions, all those chosen bad habits, I'm not talking about the unchosen sins and I'm not talking about the the unintentional sins and the the, uh, unknown sins. I'm talking about those choices, the power of choice. God gave me back my power of choice so that I could say, okay, Lord, you get to choose. And he gave me consistent victory that night over every known chosen sin in my life. And not only that, but he gave me an immediate, overnight love for prayer. I, I remember right away just saying, wow, I get to spend an hour with God? And the time just flew by. The power of conversion was new to me. I had never experienced it before. It blew me away. These are some of the greatest miracles I have ever experienced in my life. I'd like to share with you one of my favorite statements by Ellen White that talks about the victory that comes to those who give themselves fully to God. Here it is. When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural work bringing a supernatural element into human what? Nature. Isn't that incredible? The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world. And he intends that no authority shall be known in it, but his own. A soul thus kept in possession by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. But she warns, unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. My friends, I can tell you by 30 years of experience that this statement is true. Unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. <clears throat> now, don't get me wrong, please. I don't want anybody going away tonight saying, hey, Mike got up on the stage tonight and he says he's perfect. He said, it doesn't have any sins anymore. That's not true at all. I am a sinner. I am standing in the need of grace. I still make terrible mistakes. I still have terrible shortcomings. I have character flaws. I am a sinner standing in the need of grace. The difference is, is that God has given me victory in my choices. And that's the first victory he gives us because that's where our power is, the power of choice. And then through the sanctification process, he gives us victory over those unintentional sins, those character flaws, those shortcomings, that kind of thing. That's part of the sanctification process. But consistent victory over the chosen sins was one of the greatest miracles that I've experienced in my life. For several weeks after I surrendered, I had spiritual panic attacks. I would have these these episodes of extreme fear. What had I done? Had I really given God all my choices? Was this gonna be my life now forever? And I remember having these these incredible panic attacks about would I be able to do this or was this gonna fail just like all my other attempts all my life, you know, I had tried and failed, tried and failed, was this gonna be another one of those failures? And for several weeks the devil hounded me with these thoughts, but you know, God gave me faith to keep on stepping one step at a time, even though I just could not see the future, I just could not see how this would be possible, I just knew that I was gonna fall again. God gave me strength to keep moving step by step. And you know, after a while, the panic attacks went away, and it was replaced by a faith in the power of God because he gave me victory. For the first time in my life, he gave me victory, and I was able to see it. (coughs) Now I know that I have shared with you tonight one of my personal struggles, Just one of many. And I know that not everybody here has that same struggle. In fact, some of you may not even be able to relate to this at all. You may say, movies? They're not a problem. I can get rid of those. Those are easy. But I can guarantee one thing. I can guarantee that each one of us here tonight has at least one area where the devil gets us where the devil tries really hard, where he sets it up and makes that perfect trap, where the devil has this besetting sin in our lives. Everyone has this area that we struggle in. But it doesn't make any difference because our our God is an all-powerful God. Greater is he who is in us if we let him than he who is in the world. I was on a plane coming back from Germany and as I sat there, I was watching the people come in, and I remember distinctly seeing this young woman and her son walk by, and uh, I was wondering where they were going, kind of, you know, daydreaming, saying, well, I hope that they're off to meet husband and father, you know, and where they're going to meet and that kind of stuff, and they sat behind me somewhere in coach class, and I didn't really hear what was going on back there, but after a little while, there was a little bit of a commotion back there, and um, sure enough, a couple minutes later, another lady came stalking forward with her boarding pass in her hand and she was, you know, just you know, going like this. And I knew exactly what had happened. This had happened to me several times before also. Two people on the plane had the same seat and they both had boarding passes to prove it. I knew exactly what was going on. And sure enough, a little while later, a stewardess came back with the lady and they went back there and there was some more commotion. I couldn't hear it but I knew there was something going on. Anyway, the upshot of this whole story is that that original young lady and her son were kicked off the airplane and she was crying. And I felt so bad for her. How do they make these kind of decisions, you know? To kick two people off instead of one. And I felt really bad for her. And I remember hoping that she would find another uh, flight so that she wouldn't miss her connections and all that kind of thing. But she didn't find another flight. Just before the doors closed on that huge airplane, she came back on board and she wasn't crying anymore. She was smiling. And she didn't sit in coach class. She sat in business class. And I remember thinking, you know... I wonder if she misses what, her seat in coach class. What do you think? Yeah. Do you think on that, uh, that uh, eight-hour, nine-hour trip from Germany to the United States, she was saying, wow, I wonder what I'm missing in coach class. Oh, if only I could be sitting in coach class. You know, she's enjoying these warm nuts, you know, and uh, this recliner, and she's saying, oh, what, what am I missing in coach class? My friends, I was that same way. Most of my Christian life, I was clutching a coach class ticket, a clo- coast a coach-class Christian experience, and God was trying to get that, that coach-class experience out of my hands and give me this first-class Christian experience. And I was fighting him. And I was fighting him. But God finally got me to the place where I was willing to open my grasp and say, okay, Lord, it's yours. Put me wherever you want me. I never want to go back. I want to enjoy, I want to live that... that first-class Christian experience for the rest of my life. I want that joy, I want that peace, I want that love, I want that motivation. And yes, I want that self-denial and that self-sacrifice and that trial and tribulation. I want it all because I know it's good. And everything from God is exquisitely good. Excruciatingly good. And we can praise Him for that. My friends, I'm not one for emotional appeals, but I would like to have a special consecration prayer this evening before we go. I would like to um, pray for anyone who would like to commit themselves, consecrate themselves to God in a way that they have never done before. I'm going to have a special consecration prayer for anybody who would like to join me up here at the front. And I invite you to come. If you've never made that commitment before and you want to surrender wholly to Jesus, you want to say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing, and you want to come and be consecrated tonight, I invite you to come and join me in my prayer. If you've already committed yourself to Christ, but you've let it slip, and you felt that, that lukewarm experience come back into your life, and you want to come forward and you want to recommit, reconsecrate, I invite you to come forward as well. Or maybe you are wholly surrendered and you want to just say, Lord, give me a deeper experience. I'm going to have a consecration prayer and I join you to come up and join me if you would like to. (coughs) Heavenly Father God, you see us tonight on our knees because we have a desire to be consecrated more fully to you than we have ever been before. We are asking for an impossible miracle in our lives. Father, a miracle that you are ready and able to give us. And I pray that you will look at each heart that is kneeling before you tonight. And I pray that you will do whatever it takes in that heart to give them the ability to be willing and able to wholly surrender themselves to you. To be consecrated to you like they have never been consecrated before. Father, that you might be Almighty God in each one of our hearts, that you might have your way and do everything that you want to do for us and in us and through us, and that you might light this campus on fire through those who are here tonight, and light this community on fire through those who are here tonight. Father, we plead with you to do whatever it takes in our life to get through to us. Whatever it takes so that we may be set aside, wholly consecrated, all or nothing, all at once. Father, grant that we may drown in your will, that we may let you drown us and gladly do it, that we may joyfully jump into your arms. Thank you for the privilege of being able to pray for surrender. Thank you for the privilege of being able to come to you and beg this most wonderful gift. Thank you, Father, for what you have done in our hearts tonight and what you will do. We praise you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org